y'all. So we are currently with the UC Davis Manasseh Student Center. Um, we just had a discussion on our podcast, like how we started, um, organizations we've gotten to know in the Swana region. Ellie talked a lot about um, the process of setting up a podcast, privacy aspects, like all these things that we've learned along the way. Um, so now we're at the Q&A portion of the workshop um, and we wanted to give people a chance to um, be on a recording or not, drop questions in the chat and have a discussion. If anyone wants to ask anything or, or comment or anything like that, um, go for it. In the meantime, I just want to kind of reiterate that I think it's awesome that y'all have a Manasa student resource. We never, we definitely have anything near that um where i went to school so same um we had this at university of houston we had this wonderful muslim student association which were very open and accepting of everyone but you know i just didn't have a place there because i'm christian and i did not feel like i should be taking up space for them uh we do have somebody raising their hand yeah go for it what's up hi i'm wondering what gives y'all queer arab joy what gives you joy i love that Hmm. Yeah. Um, let me think on that. I think forming a family in the way that I want to form. Um, I, I think this podcast has really helped, which I know I don't always like to say like you can create your own family because it's like saying that family is uh, higher up than the friend status. But I guess I just want to get the message of, across that I something that gives me joy is just being able to create my own community rather than having it always created for me when it's not necessarily always always safe when it is created for me yeah i want to chime in with that and also kind of um someone just mentioned chosen family so i'll mention that too and i think something that's really wonderful um coming from the cultures that we do like obviously there there are cultural challenges uh with accepting queerness but also i think sometimes something that queer people bring when we do connect to each other is that just different type of closeness when it comes to family and different, uh, there's just a different type of interdependence that you don't always see in like white American spaces. And I think even in the families we choose, you see that. And it's, it doesn't always mean it's a good thing. Like sometimes it, it means it's like messy and complicated and um, obnoxiously codependent, but th there are a lot of moments of joy in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah someone, someone brought up the question in the chat. What do you th think of the term yeah, chosen yeah. family so Ooh. i think that's a good way to uh as for me what gives me like queer arab joy um i am like a pop culture trash gremlin so just seeing any kind of representation is wonderful for me like i've always like the happiest moments for me were always seeing like queer lebanese and queer arab moments in film so we've got like uh there was this movie i think it's 2003's caramel where they just have this like brief like lesbian moment where it's like very subtle very subtext but i was just like mm, yes no, please it's not that subtle <laughs> no but like well i mean if you were if you were a lesbian or you know a queer person and you know at the time you would have saw it because we basically lived and died on subtext at that time but these days we got like way more explicit like we i just talked with alex of uh soft not weak games and they're and they're basically developing an entire game whose entire cast is non-binary arab folk and that is just that would have blown my mind to know that something like that could exist like 10 years ago the other thing is just having a family dynamic with like other queer arab 
having a friend and his boyfriend come over and I cook them, you know, uh, tabbouleh and hummus. And we have this big traditional family-ish dinner that we would normally never have. We would like, we would, we would either like not bring them to our family dinners or they would be excluded from the larger stuff. But just having those moments together is just like awesome. Let me correct you though. Your tabbouleh is amazing. It's not bad. <laughs> so I, I, I will respectfully disagree with your adjective. <laughs> Ellie makes great tabbouleh. Um, I think cooking in general brings me queer, which way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think something else, like you said, like I, you couldn't imagine something happening 10 years ago. And I think it's the moments like that, that really do it for me. I'm like, I'm living some, like my, my, my life right now is kind of beyond things I could have imagined as a kid. And that's just a, a, a ridiculous thing to wrap your head around, a really beautiful thing to wrap your head around. I sometimes have to remind myself, like, God, past me, like, whenever I'm, like, complaining about stuff, getting upset, there, you know, there are some moments where I'm like, wait, past me would be so amazed what all is happening right now. Um, so that helps to think about. The, so I'll, I won't name you unless you want to be named. Um, the person who uh, says you're thinking a lot about intersectionality, do you want to, um, like, tell us a little bit more what's on your mind about that? Okay. Uh, in the meantime, someone. Can we take the hand raise. Yeah, yeah. Someone raise their hand. Just or her hand. Just in the meantime. Um, go for it. Go for it. Yes, I had to unmute. So this is Nancy Jean again. Um, shout out to folks in Texas, which is where I grew up, with my um, yeah. my Lebanese mom, who was the only one who left Connecticut to be a rebel and come to Texas. And um, wow. one thing I wanted to ask you. So it comes off my own experiences with my family where we were read as white in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was white, um, but my mom, full, uh, you know, my grandparents immigrated from Lebanon. You know, she's first generation American Lebanese. Um, she also was read as white until 9-11. And then Ooh. she would get um, very quiet about it. And I'm wondering whether you were in Texas or not, what your experiences have been with being read as a person of color being seen as white, maybe, but not identifying, or maybe you are, I don't know. I guess around self-identity, how other people read you when you're in the U.S. and the way U.S. culture has changed how we see people. That's a really good question. Um, I'll, I'll jump in because I also am mixed similarly. Um, so my mother is white, my father's Saudi. That's one factor that makes me pretty white passing in certain spaces, not very white passing in other spaces. It kind of varies. Um, also my first name, Alia, gives me away. It's the, the name factor starts this whole series of questions. Um, and so that's kind of been, yeah, I, I don't know. So I've had like different experiences depending on if someone's just like clocking me visually or if they know anything at all about me beyond that, um, even just a name. Um, I will say I was a teenager when 9-11 happened, dating myself. There was a huge contrast in, um, like before, before that, it just didn't even come up. Like the fact that I'm Saudi just like never came up. It just didn't. Um, at school, no one cared, no one talked about it, no one probably even knew where it was. <laughs> um, and then, sorry, there's a lot of background noise outside. We're in New York. And then, yeah, so after 9-11, all of a sudden, 
everyone knew where Saudi Arabia was, to say the least. I got I got bullied at school um, in ways that I had never experienced before. It made me like aware of my Arabness in a whole new way and also ashamed of it for a while. And it took me a long time to even like consider putting my queerness and my Arabness into one space. I used to like, I was, I still am very good at compartmentalization. I think that's just like a coping mechanism a lot of us have stemming from any kind of trauma. Yeah, so it, that that's just been a long process. Um, I guess that's kind of a messy way to answer the question, it's but just, it's, it's messy. Life is life messy. Is messy. Yeah. yeah. I don't uh, know. Do you want, yeah, I'll talk. Yeah. Um, I, I relate to some of those things and not others. Um, I guess what I'll say regarding uh, like white passing. Um, so my, my mom like very much reads as white. Um, my dad very much reads as a brown dude. Um, and that's not necessarily, that's a distinction I had to explain to them. Because um, I think like sometimes when people like immigrate to a place that just has a different understanding of race, not that colorism doesn't exist there, but that's not something they would think of as like this categorical thing. Um, and I remember having like this conversation about like white passing with my mother where I explained to her like what the difference, just the, also like the, the difference between white and white passing. She was like, oh, so like, does that mean I'm white? Like what is what what does white mean if it's not about skin color? And I'm like, no, but you're not what people think of when they think of a white person, but they might mistake you for that on the street. And that keeps you safe until people hear you talk or say your name. Uh, so yeah, I, I, and then like me personally, I feel like I've just gotten a variety, a wild variety of reads throughout my life. Um, so I don't feel that I could identify as white passing or not white passing. I, I don't, that's just not been my experience where I've gotten a consistent type of reading on race or ethnicity. And I guess I'll mention, I grew up in um, North Carolina uh, in where there was a significant um, Lebanese Syrian community around my area, but not exactly not exactly in the same place where I was. So um, I didn't necessarily know a lot of other Arab or Salana kids at my school and people were just kind of trying to classify like, oh, are you like Latina? Are you, are you Asian? Are you mixed? Are you white? Like there was a, a set number of categories that I didn't fit into. Um, so I, I think I've just had a lot of experiences of ambiguity. And then I moved to the, uh, the California Bay Area in high school and people were like, you're Persian. And I was like, that's the closest I've ever gotten. Uh, it seemed like close enough at the time. Uh, so yeah, I guess something else I'll say is um, I'm, I'm a bit younger than um, the other two hosts. I was six when 9-11 happened. Um, so I think that's just very much impacted my understanding. I feel like I have a little bit of a just different conception of race than people who are like adults or teenagers um, around that shift. I've, yeah, uh, regardless of like, I, I, I feel like I've only, the, the concept of identifying as white has only ever been like aspirational. Um, and it has been aspirational at some times, but the, the idea that we could be just um, effortlessly or unquestionably white wasn't a part of my consciousness. And I think that's different from um, people who grew up at a slightly different time. Uh, as the old lady of the group, um, I was in college when 9-11 happened. And before that, I had been dealing with the sort of like my Arabness as a negative thing on and off just because of the the Iraq war in the 90s and all that. So I kind of grew up with the standard Texas racism. If I was recognized 
as non-white, it was usually Mexican with with all the negative like negative racist connotations that come with being Mexican in Texas. But when the Iraq War happened, and then again during the uh, 9-11, uh, like I was suddenly very aware that I was Lebanese and Arab, and my family's always been very proud of this fact, you know. However, when 9-11 happened, like my dad suddenly just planted this American flag right outside of our house to let all our neighbors know that, hey, we're Americans, you know, and we're not a threat. And he even tried to work for the, uh, I think it was the FBI, and went in an interview with them to do translations. I didn't go well but it also made me extremely aware that we were very much not white and we were not going to count as you know white enough or american enough you know when things got negative and i've always referred this to, to this as like sort of like schrodinger's minority it's like we don't know what we're gonna be read as and it can always go badly at any given time so um i still have i still sometimes get white get red white although Sometimes it's like when I come out to people um, being, you know, Lebanese, it's like, oh, but you're one of the good ones or you're so well-spoken and articulate. Oh, you're not Muslim, are you? Stuff like that. It was, it's dumb, but, you know, you have to sort of deal with that. And I also have to have the same conversations with my folks because they're like, but we're white. And I'm like, yeah, but are the racists going to care? there's like a weird thing with people not necessarily identifying with the fact that they could be targeted and i think there's a, a weird thing that goes on with like arab christians and Islamic christians um my, my family is uh one side of my family is uh, orthodox christian another sunni uh but there's, there's these weird power plays of like oh no if we like emphasize that we're not muslim the racists won't do anything to us um and it's like no, no, the racists aren't known for nuance. Like nope. people commit, commit hate crimes aren't like, oh, we want to really respect your identity before we commit hate yeah, crimes. Like, uh, you, you, you make sure you check like, all the boxes and then like, then we're yeah, ready. We want to be intersectional in the way we commit hate crimes. Um, no, like I remember there was like a uh, a church a church that was mostly attended by uh, Palestinian Orthodox Christians near my house in California that was burned down after 9-11 and I remember my mom was being confused like oh it's but it's a church and I'm like racists don't care yeah you know you can't uh you can't try to present yourself as one of the good ones and think you're gonna win because eventually it, it just doesn't work out and in the meantime you've lost your opportunities of solidarity yeah yeah oh also we're seeing in the chat there's a lot of texas yes, representation texas. wait here. i'm gonna get like, the the gay texas pillow <laughs> oh good yeah we have a little texas pillow because i used to also live in houston where ellie currently lives and i have a rainbow texas shaped pillow the the piece of texas that came to new york <laughs> I'll bring both pillows. Um, and in the, sorry, the two in the, genders. There's gay Texas. Yeah, here's gay Texas. We're showing you on the screen. You can kind of. Also, okay, someone else in the chat was like, oh, following up on the intersectionality part made them think about that. Um, their follow up is just just thinking about all the layers and complexities that go along with various identities that we all hold um, and not just as queer. And yeah, I really appreciate that comment because like, I think a lot of times like in a queer space that's predominantly white, like in our case, we are having to kind of forget other aspects of our identity in order to find some sense of belonging. So it is, it, it is really important to 
make spaces um, and find spaces where you can acknowledge all of these parts of yourself because they are all you. So this is true. Uh, but given that the lack of like queer Arab spaces in the past, especially when organizing Texas, I've often had to like when coming into like any sort of LGBT organizing, I had, I was always trying, like, I was always afraid to sort of like take up spaces like a queer person of like non-white queer person, just because I was like, well, we've in Texas, you know, we've got queer black folks and we got queer Latina, Latin folks, Mexican, queer Mexican folks of all. But I felt like any space I took away from them was not a good use of space or my voice just because like, you know, yeah, I'm important, but their issues represent such a bigger slice of the problems in Texas, you know, so it always felt really awkward for me in those spaces. And I still feel kind of a little bit of that awkwardness when in organizing spaces, like, should I be the one really talking about this? Should I be presenting my experiences when my friend here has had, you know, much worse, but you have to speak somewhere and... It's a, it's a hard sort yeah. of balancing act. I don't know. That got awkward fast. Well, I think it's also important. Like, it's taken me a, t a little while to accept the fact that I do have... I do have a place in the, these discussions, regardless of, like, how Arab I am. Because, like, it's, it's important to recognize that we're not a monolith. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. And we all, like, count. Um, so... Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I... I think there's just uh, not to be like uh, like give afters. I just think there's just a difference between like speaking. I can speak for myself, and then like trying to speak over other people. For sure. Um, yeah. And I think that's uh, that's what we're trying to do on the podcast. Like, it's not just us talking. We want to talk to a variety of people. No one's expected to be like the representative the of any identity. You yeah. know, a lot of people are concerned about being like the queer Arab voice, and it's like, no, you could just be a yeah. a voice. Despite our podcast name, which is the, the we're queer Arab beforehand, <laughs> um, we, we were laughing. We call it some some queer some Arabs. queer Arabs podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have time for one more question, if any, or comment, or anything. Um, if anyone else wants to add anything before we wrap up and finish the recording, no pressure. We want to ask each other a question. Sure. Yeah, I said we... that, and I don't know what, what to ask. Um, yeah. What's, uh, what's your favorite episode we've done? Oh, that's really that's really hard. I I have so many favorites. I'm just gonna mention World Pride, which was so so exciting for me. Um, just it was a, it was just a fun like new way of podcasting. We just got so many different clips from so many different people and put it all together into like one collage and I thought that was a fun way to podcast and I was also just yeah. thinking back on like world pride in general so I, I'm not usually the type that like gets really into pride events but that year I did and it's almost like I knew I wouldn't be able to the next like I was thinking back on it I was like I went to like you, so many you marches hard. and events we, and we I went, went to like so Queens hard. Pride and Brooklyn Pride and yeah and the main one and Oh, and March the, and Dyke March and oh, the Dyke March was amazing. Like, 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 yeah, um, and it was, it's it's almost like knew. there was this premonition <laughs> that this isn't going to happen next year. Like a, it's a oh. chance. Yeah. As for me, my favorite episode was always the last episode I was in. You know, I know a little egotistical, but whatever. Um, but more seriously, Yellow Punk episodes were amazing. I still am not shutting up about those. I still wear that shirt like weekly. <laughs> 
Yeah, Yellow Punk is this really cool festival in Philadelphia um, for Swana folks. And yeah, so we've been there twice. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good note um, to end on. Um, check out all those episodes <laughs> that we mentioned and any any and other ones. Yeah, so. also should we say where people can follow us? Yeah. Although, um, I'm sure that's on flyers and stuff. Follow us on Facebook and Insta at The Queer Arabs. We're on thequeerarabs.com. And if you want to send us an email, we're thequeerarabs at gmail.com. We're also kind of on Twitter. Oh, I forgot about Twitter because I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're on Twitter too. Same thing. And you can, I also have a personal Twitter account there too. If you, and I actually do post to Twitter. What is it? Oh, that's an excellent question. And does not come up nearly enough. Um, Ellie Queer Arabs. That's it.